So we have come to the last factor in the Eightfold Path. It's been this two-month journey and investigation of this really core and important teaching of the Buddha. And the last factor is um, often called right concentration, but in Pali the word is samadhi. And I think I'm going to call it samadhi, and the reason for that is because it's, it's called often translated as concentration, but that can bring up all these ideas of, you know, tensing and bearing down and, you know, focusing, 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 which can be a distraction in itself. And actually, I've heard over the last couple of years, people define it, um, define it differently. They, uh, or translated it differently, <clears throat> perhaps more accurately, based on the etymology of the word, they call it um, a collectedness of the mind or a steadiness of the mind or gathering of the mind. So the mind's not so distracted or running off in a thousand different directions. And so instead of saying collectedness or gathering or steadiness or one of those, I think samadhi if, is, is, is just as easy, especially if we define it at the outset. Um, and it's it can be a challenging one as you as you noticed in the meditation when you the intention is to move into the steadiness of mind it it really it goes against our tendencies to be scattered and distracted not that we want to be distracted or scattered but it's this evolutionary uh, aspect of our our mind and how the mind works. It's, you know, we have to have this mental alertness, which is constantly scanning the horizon for danger. And the ones, the, the critters that escape danger pass that quality down. So the ones who are always on the, on the lookout are the ones who kind of survived. But it, it developed, and I really like... Um, how Gregory Kramer in The Whole Life Path talks about this. Because I, I really like neuroscience, but I can never remember all the words and how they all fit together. So if I can read, um, I will. And he says, um, you know, these traits were passed down. Neurotransmitters, stress hormones, and other liquids of vigilance are activated when we have this awareness of threats or rewards that we're always looking for. And they remain in circulation. They continue to affect our mind states. Thoughts arising out of this agitated state arouse more hormonal secretions. The stress response can also incorporate muscle tension and even changes in the states of our cells. Our vocabulary struggles to keep up with such experiences, the words anxiety, fear, nervousness, strain, tension, trauma, affliction, and restlessness touch only the surface of the human condition. So it's not our fault. We come to this naturally through this evolutionary process of being always on the lookout, but um, I think we also have now way more... Uh, uh, information coming at us from a lot of different directions. And in fact, I was reading something the other day in a book I'm reading uh, for a class I'm taking called Emergence Strategy. And um, Angel Kyoto Williams, who's a teacher, she's a Zen teacher, very wise, talked about the amount of, because of technology, 
the amount of distress and suffering that we see in the world is probably more than our capacity to hold it. And so it's, we're agitated all the time. And then we live in a culture that is constantly sending us messages like from we're eating the wrong breakfast cereal to we're doing everything wrong or we're not whatever, you know, we're not thinking the right thoughts, we're not voting for the right person, we're not this, we're not that. And so there's all this danger. It's different from, you know, predators on the horizon that are going to f- chase us down and, and eat us to different types of dangers. So all these hormones and neurotransmitters and things are active all the time. So it can be really challenging to move in this place of uh, settledness and um, calming. So, but that's why this practice is so important and so wise because it's necessary. to take care of ourselves. And there's a whole other piece that I might get into in a bit about guarding the sense doors, which I talk about a lot, that we have to really pay attention to what we ingest and what we take in. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. And there's a lot of talking heads talking about it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I choose not to listen to them. I I know exactly what's going on in the world, but I don't ingest it 24-7, which I was talking to someone today, and she's just freaking out because of all of it and can't seem to get stuff done, and it's like back away. But that's, 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 that's um, part of this whole, um, I've talked about over the course of this Eightfold Path, is watching what we're ingesting and, and being mindful and not you know agitating. So to step away from that is a step towards calm, And in samadhi, the mind is relaxed. The mind is centered. The mind is happy. You know, we have let go of desire or craving, of wanting things to be a certain way. The mind is alert. The mind is still. The mind is stable. That's what samadhi is, this this collectedness. Let's see, what are the nuns? Let me see if I can find it quickly. Yeah, there's, it's composure and tranquility and collectedness of mind. Um, and Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about it, um, and he says, the mind that has been trained in samadhi can remain focused on the object without distraction. So we're not distracted all the time by what's that, what's that, what's that. Um, the mind can remain focused without distraction. This freedom from distraction further induces a softness and serenity which make the mind an effective instrument for penetration, seeing clearly. Like a lake unruffled by any breeze, the, the concentrated mind is a faithful reflector that mirrors whatever is placed before it exactly as it is. So samadhi is this collectedness that is not impacted by all the comings and goings of the mind. It actually sees clearly what is present. What's right here? Not the story about it. We've dropped below the storyline and are fully aware of of the presence of of emotions or the presence of, of seeing that 
craving is here or craving is not here. We can be with reality fully. Um, samadhi, this, this, this collectedness of mind can arise naturally. And I, I talked about this in mindfulness. Um, when we were talking about the factor of mindfulness, like when you are totally in the zone or in the flow, you are, you know, creating something, you're, you're, you're performing, you're doing, you're writing, you're doing something that really, um, you're fully with it and not distracted by any, th by any other thing. We've all had that experience, whether we're aware of it or not. Sometimes we're aware of it after the fact when we become distracted again and go, oh, wait a minute, when I was doing that, I was fully present. Fully present is, is what the samadhi brings. So it can arise naturally as we move with this flow. And gratitude is something that is um, a piece of, of samadhi, of this collectedness of mind. When we have this experience of gratitude, if somebody does something or says something, that this, this gratitude just arises, just kind of, um, there's a welling up, an internal welling up, and we can be fully in the moment. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you've each had that experience at some point or another. I, I've talked about a few years ago, I was on a retreat, and um, somebody at the end of the retreat asked me if he could give me a lift to the airport because I had flown up to the retreat center, and I started crying. I was just overcome by this gratitude. I was fully immersed in it. That, and it wasn't tears of sadness, it was tears of joy. This, this really, this, connected, this connectedness that was there. So that is what it, the flavor of it. If you can recollect something where you're just totally in it, um, that's what it is. I know we have artists in this group. I know we have musicians in this group. I know we have athletes in this group. And when you're doing that, you can touch into that, I'm sure. So that's, that's what um, this collecting this is, samadhi is. Now, it can arise, but it can also pass. So what we need to do is nurture it, learn to nurture it. And it's really important because it's really connected to wisdom and seeing clearly. A, it's calm and it, there's ease and, and tranquility, which is nice in and of itself, but this clarity that comes with samadhi is important because there's this wisdom. And this wisdom, this insight is necessary for awakening. We begin to see the nature of things. We begin to see when we're attached. Or we're, we're pushing things away. We begin to see when those those old habits of mind are arising. And when the mind is, is calm, we can just let them go. They come and they go. We're not so distracted that we're, we're clinging or grabbing on or grasping. And it's essential, this, this clarity, this, this, this um, quieting of the mind is necessary for, for freedom, for freeing the mind. Oftentimes, when people talk about this factor and when people talk about concentration in particular, 
Um, they talk about what are known as the jhanas, which are these um, states of absorption, where you're so totally absorbed that everything else just falls away. I don't think I've ever experienced a jhana. Um, perhaps I've gotten to a, 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 a touching one, but from what I've read and heard people talk about, I don't think I have. And it's, it doesn't mean you have to have it, but um, I just want to explain it because it is very common when people talk about it. In fact, I was on a retreat once and we had a little group with the teacher, I think there were about five or six people in this breakout group with the teacher, and every single one of them talked about jhanas. And of course, I'm letting there going. Oh, there's something wrong with me. I don't know what. But um, and it's like it's not my experience. And what jhanas, as I said, what jhanas are is this really full set, um, state of absorption. But it's not necessary for awakening. It's not necessary for liberation. Oftentimes. Um, Jhanas come when people really are concentrated, focused on like a light or a mantra or something where you become so absorbed and everything falls away. But when that mantra or whatever it is, is gone, this stuff comes right back. You know, every, the hindrances are gone. All there is, is is joy and ease and contentedness, except it still lacks wisdom or insight, you're just in this plate, uh, place of uh, perhaps bliss. And to chase those jhanas because of the experience of bliss is a, is a kind of craving. So it doesn't mean they're bad, because the Buddha talked about them. But they're not necessary. The, I like how Kramer talks about it. He goes to, they're helpful because you can experience this sense of calm and then know what it's like. Like I was saying, if you are in a place of gratitude or this place of being in the flow, recognizing what that's like so that you'll know it and you'll know what it's not. It's, it's help. So jhanas are helpful for the experience of deep calm so we know what it is or isn't, but it's not necessary. And again, I've, um, I've uh, always been taught that it's insight this practice that we do vipassana the insight practice you can get to that place of calm and ease um not needing to just find that blissed out place you can be at ease regardless of what's arising which has been what my experience is so and and it's because samadhi is balanced with mindfulness and so when you have this mindfulness, this really paying attention, we increase the, the subtle understanding of reality. That's what this is all about. You know, understanding things as they are, not as we want them to be, not as we get attached to, but as they really are. Understanding this nature that things are impermanent, that getting the shiny object is not going to bring us lifelong happiness. That things end. That we're going to end. To have that understanding and seeing what's happening in the moment and being at ease with it. Recognizing that there's really nothing we can do. Um, that's... that's um, 
the joining of mindfulness and, and samadhi, this ease. And I've talked about this over the last few weeks, this ease with reality. It doesn't have to be pleasant in order to have ease. We can be at ease with discomfort. We can be at ease with pain. But we have this, this long-standing idea that pleasant is good and unpleasant is bad. But those are not tied together. Those are judgments that we have been trained to believe. It just is. It's unpleasant. It's painful. How do I hold it? How am I with reality? So cultivating this, this steadiness of mind without being absorbed in the hindrances, which is craving and aversion and restlessness and dullness and, and doubt, without those being present, this calm, this, this tranquility allows us to be with the unpleasant, recognizing that we don't have to do anything. Yeah, we are free from the hindrances, and so we're less reactive. And we, this, this cultivation of wisdom that goes along with the samadhi is to recognize. Again, it's with mindfulness to recognize when there is a craving present and let go. Recommend, recognize when there is aversion present and let go. Recognize when we're caught in these things. You know, and that we've created a world based on what we want or don't want, based on fixed ideas. There's a great quote from Dojin, who's the um, great Zen teacher. He says, if the least like or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion. The least like or dislike, the least judgment, good, bad, I want this, I don't want that, we're immediately taken away from the present. Immediately taken away from the present. And so the, the teaching is to recognize those likes and dislikes and let them go. And so when we calm the mind, we see reality. That, 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 that um, still forest pool that Ajahn Chah talks about. When we really can calm the mind, we can be surprised what's really there. You know? We let go because we see the futility of holding on. You see the history of your life of clinging and holding or pushing away the opposite, the flip side of it, and how that usually doesn't work. And we bang our head against the wall until we let go. Or we, you know, push a round peg into a square hole and go, that'll work, and that doesn't work. I mean, of course, sometimes it does, but a lot of times it doesn't. But we expend a lot of energy, and instead this says, just come back and be right here. What's right now? And the really sweet thing about this is that when we can really let go of these, these ideas and these tendencies, these thoughts about what should or shouldn't, and we can bring some kindness and, and gentleness to our own experience. And we experience this tranquility and this joy that arises naturally. 
We begin to care for others because we see we're all in the same boat. We're all experiencing the human condition. And there's a spaciousness that opens up. Because we, we're, 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 we're not caught in this greed. We can be generous because we see there's no mine. It's just a, ri a rising and passing, a rising and passing of all these different phenomena. The sounds, the smells, the thoughts that go by. And a really important point in this is, is I've mentioned numerous times how all these factors support each other. What, what um, Tamadi, this collectedness of mind is supported by right action, by sila, the ethical portion of the Eightfold Path. Because if we're out there causing harm, if we're stealing or lying or, or hurting others, Unless we're totally lost in delusion, in which case it's going to take a lot to get in. But if we're on this path, the more we live with integrity, the easier it's going to be to get to a place of samadhi. Because we don't have these things nibbling at our, uh, the back of our consciousness. We, we can recognize that our side of the street is clean. And so there's ease that comes with that. So you see, again, how this whole thing just kind of, they all support each other. Um, it's not just do this and you're good, but it's like, what's, what's up right now? How do we do that? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of impossible, maybe, to be, well, unless you're totally deluded. It's impossible to be at ease if we're causing harm. And then um, effort. I mentioned that in the in the in the meditation instruction, bringing the effort. That's another. That's part of the last uh, the the samadhi portion of the eightfold path. There's effort, mindfulness, and samadhi, concentration, collectedness, making the right effort. And this can be challenging too because we can get, especially again in this culture of striving and achievement and you know, being the best and getting it right. We get into this place of, ah, I'm, you know, clenching of teeth and I'm going to get this right. I'm going to get to this place of calm. And that's just really counterintuitive. Effort is not strive. Striving to me means like, eh, but striving doesn't necessarily mean that. It means it's gentle. It's volitional, you know. It's, it's, it's just kind of nudging into the right, uh, right direction. It's like, oh, this is what's present. Let me, this is, this, I'm stuck in this craving idea of I should have this. Can I let that go? It should look like this. Can I let it go? You know? And instead to say, oh, this is what it feels like right now. Okay. Can I, I'm going to be with this without the extraneous ideas of shoulds or coulds or woulds. And, you know, um, Buddha talked about this in a couple of different suttas. One of the most famous one is when talking about um, the raft. And when you come, you, you do these things, and when you come to a river, you take a raft across the other side of the river, and you make the effort to go across, and then when you get to the side of the river, you let go. You don't need to carry that raft with you. 
or when you're walking somewhere and you have the idea, oh, I want to go to the park. This is what the sutta is. I'm going to go to the park. And you're like, the, the desire is to go to the park. Or the desire is to cultivate samadhi. So you sit. And you go, okay, I'm going to sit. And then when you get to the park or you get sitting, you let go of that effort. Because you're there. So you let go of things. You just enough effort. It's just enough. You get that question all the time. How much? Just enough. And you have to find this for yourself. What's necessary? What, what's necessary in this moment? And you know if you're a striver. And you know if you're like, eh, I can let it go. And you want to find that, that happy medium. That's just enough. You know? So, how do you do this? In um, the four foundations of mindfulness are a good place to begin to cultivate um, samadhi. Like, when people are new to meditation, we often start with breath, counting the breath, or breathing in or breathing out, because that's a way to calm the mind or feeling your foot on the floor, or being with a sensation in the body. It's, it's a point of uh, an object of awareness that, that takes you out of the chatter that's going constantly and brings you into the present. So that, that first factor, being aware of the body, doing, a, doing a, um, a meditation on the 32 lovely parts of the body, or, or any of those types of meditations that really keep you focused. Second foundation, whether things are pleasant or unpleasant, or uh, the third foundation of recognizing what's, what's here, what's not here. Is, is there greed present? Is greed missing? Um, and then the fourth foundation is just this openness to all the, whether the hindrances are present. Is there greed? Is there aversion? Is there restlessness and worry? What's present? Or... And this is where you move into the other side, seven factors of awakening, cultivating that. Because that the seven factors of awakening are mindfulness, bringing this awareness, um, effort, they all repeat each other everywhere, investigation, what's going on here, and then with that recognition, with that mindfulness, with that effort to be present, there comes this joy there comes this tranquility. And then there comes samadhi. So, getting like I talked about last week, getting rid of the hindrances and cultivating the seven factors of awakening are a way to move into this. Because it's the seven, samadhi, right collectedness, right concentration is part of it. And then you get to the place of equanimity, of being totally in balance, totally at ease with reality with whatever shows up, right here, right now. Um, yeah, another, another uh, practice that is beneficial are the, the Brahma-viharas or the heart practices. Loving kindness, that's a way to stay present as well, that cultivates this ease, that cultivates this, this um, uh, tranquility. 
Some people have a challenge with it if you're doing loving kindness for self because, again, culturally, we're taught, ah, you're not supposed to do that until, you know, you're not good enough. But um, even just um, reflecting on someone that you care about and wishing good, wishing good wishes for them starts um, um, the juices flowing of the ease and reflecting on their good fortune and their joy and their happiness. It moves us in the direction of this ease and this contentedness and this, um, this stability, this collectedness of mind, this balance. So that is a, a requisite for liberation, a requisite for freedom, this, this steadiness of mind and the happiness and the joy that comes with it. A joy that's not dependent on results or outcomes. A joy of just being fully present. Because as, that, as that, um, that quote from Dojin, you know, as soon as we move into a like or a dislike, the mind is lost and on its, on its, um, on its way. So I think... That's all I have to say about this. Um, it's a it's a challenging practice, but you've all been sitting for a little bit, and I'm sure you've each had a moment of of tranquility, of ease, of samadhi when there's not a grasping or a clinging, but there's just a being fully with reality as it is, being with things as they are. And I'll also say that doesn't mean we don't work to end injustice, that we don't work to, you know, end harm being caused. But the way we come at it is very differently. The way we hold it can be very different. Recognizing that it doesn't have to turn out the way I want it to turn out. These, this is the work of lifetimes beyond my life in this, in this, this iteration that this work is going to continue long after I'm gone, but I do what I can in this moment to end suffering for the benefit of all. That's why we practice for our own liberation and for the liberation of all. So see if you can find a place to uh, uh, be with ease, be with, be with uh, the contented, con contentedness and this... this um, collectedness of mind get a flavor of it so you know what it's like so that you know when it's not there and you can see what's getting in the way that's that's what I find a really helpful thing is what's in the way so thank you everyone for uh, hanging out um, low these two months and this time together tonight thanks Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.